Okay, kick those tires and start that virtually fake fire. Today, we welcome the Lone Granger, a man to tell us about Stranger Granger, a man who even has Granger things to tell us. He's a country superstar, but more importantly, a father, a husband, and a future fan of the show, which he inevitably heard about probably 10 minutes ago. Granger Smith joins us here in our virtual campfire, or as I like to call it now, my guest bedroom. Granger, thanks for being here, man. Man, what an intro. Thank How many you. times have you practiced that? That's really good. That was off the cuff. That was just for you. You know, it is said. <laughs> I had a feeling it was. <laughs> a biblical promise is that the spirit will give you the words to say, right? Mm-hmm. I um, Although I think about all the times that I've said stupid things and I think the spirit cut out at that point. <laughs> it was a, I lost that 5G connection, you know? Um, but uh, we have so much to talk about today. I'm so excited to dig into your story. Can we just like have a little fun though and break the ice? You've been, you know, country superstar. You've been on the road. We both have buses and this is about where our parallels end. We both have traveled the country in bus. Your bus, way nicer. Um, can you give me a story or two, just a crazy story from being on the road? like a funny thing, an epic fail, just a, I mean, you must've collected some stories from being out in the road for so long. Yeah. Uh, I would say probably so many that it's hard to narrow it down uh, with, with, with that kind of question. But I will say uh, the first thing I thought of when you introduced the question is uh, my bus that, that I call wildflower that we have been, I've been traveling in that specific bus since 2016 Okay, And I found out yesterday because, you know, I'm leaving touring and we're selling both buses and our truck. I found out yesterday that the, that my bus wildflower is literally going on tour the day after my tour ends. And so we're cleaning, I'm cleaning off this bus that has literally been my home for, for seven years now. Uh, and it's going out with a new band on August the 27th, which is, that's just wild to me. So uh, it's going to be very bittersweet. All those memories that you're talking about, Ryan, that that we've built up over these, over the last decade, uh, I'm clearing out in just a few minutes after the last show. That's weird. I wonder is like, is, is the bus sort of like Harry Potter that do you choose the bus or does the bus choose you? You know, is there a spiritual connection with your bus? You know, <laughs> man, I, I was so crazy. You say that I was thinking about that, that exact thing last night and I was going, why do I always make these spiritual connections to material things like guitars? You know, oh, like yeah. I used to, I used to say that it's the guitar picks the player you know it's not the player that picks the guitar and it's like it's just a piece of wood and some strings why why do we attach that and and houses like we make these spiritual connections with houses and it's just really just drywall and and wood and but why do we as all of us i'd be surprised if anyone said oh i make no connection with anything that i ever have cars trucks houses Oh, we na- we name them, right? I mean, you, they they name ships. And well, ships, I think planes. I mean, you live in Austin, so I imagine the appreciation of your house lends to a spiritual connection. You know, you gotta, you know, or the housing, housing prices. I better have a spiritual connection if I'm going to pay that much for a starter home. Uh, of but, course, uh, of course. That's uh, no. It's, I, I, <laughs> I I my bus. I I have. You could make a spiritual connection to it because I've had so many literal spiritual connections in it and yeah. and around it and on it. and and I, I there's actually a section in the book that I just I just gave just the wildflower because we have so many memories together good and bad we have 
you know, I've, I've looked out of her windshield and seen beautiful mountains and, and cityscapes and horrible wrecks and, uh, and tornadoes and hurricanes and 4th of July fireworks and county fairs. And, uh, it's, it's, we've been in all the lower 48 in that particular bus. And mm. it's, it's, you know, I broke down on that bus and then that bus has broke down on me, you know, many, many times. Oh, I love that. Yeah. That's a, I'm sure that, that's beautiful. Um, it's, uh, man. So, I mean, I, so bus is broken down. I'm curious too, have you ever been on stage too? Like, so one thing, have you followed the news lately? There's been all this like string of performers that have been like, have crazy fans assault them. Have you been following this? Like, I think it was like Harry, know, St- Harry Styles got hit. Someone threw like rice at someone. Someone threw, I mean, it's just, it's weird. When you're like, have you ever had like crazy fans like try and like do anything? Like, I mean, that's because I want to get into obviously the the trappings of popularity. Our entire culture just totally, you know, idolizes the idea of being, you know, worshipped, et cetera. But uh, to dispel uh, that there are negative sides of being popular, um, have you ever had any like crazy fans or just some moments where you're like, man, I, I really wish I was more anonymous right now. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's interesting because as things happen, like rice, whatever being thrown on the stage, as things happen over the years, you start uh, setting up ways to stop that from ever happening in the future. So there was a time when we just had these constant stage, stage divers, people would want to come on the stage run on the stage for like a second of glory and dive back into the crowd. And, and when one person sees someone do it on TikTok, then, then they're like, man, I'm, I'm going to go to the show in Nebraska on Friday and try to stage dive. Uh-oh. So that, that happens three or four times. Then, then we're having security meetings. Now I haven't seen it happen in years now because my tour manager is going to do this security meeting and he's going to specifically address stage diving or guard, you know, guarding the, the stairs that go up to the stage or guarding the door to the bus um, there's just all these precautions that we set up because of everyone wants a crazy moment. Oh man, that is, <laughs> that's right. I'm always curious too. Are you nervous before you go out on stage? Do you get uh, stage fright at all? Or is there come a point where you're just like, you hear the chants, like you're, you're off to the wing and you hear the, you know, the Granger, Granger or whatever. And you're like, okay, let's go. Cause I know I read something where you said, Hey, how's the crowd looking tonight? We'll get into that. But do you, do you still get the butterflies when you go out there? If something is drastically changed for that, sh- that particular show, for instance, maybe there's a brand new song and it's a big moment of the show. And I'm, I'm not, it's, it's still a new song for me. I'm not really sure of all the lyrics or the chords or the guitar or whatever. Um, that would, that could create nerves. If it's, if it's our set and my guys and our crowd, um, then I'm not going to get nervous at all. I'm going to get excited, but I'm not going to get, nervous per se if it's someone else's crowd if it's a tv show and and it's very cynical crowd that that's something to get nervous about yeah oh, man man what a joy well uh, i i would do want, well, well remind me we'll come back at the end i do want to get more bus stories because i i think everyone doesn't don't you think everyone needs to see the country from a bus at some point i mean it just it's it's such a unique way. And you see things that you would otherwise never see. There are ta- that town with the fourth largest thermometer in the world, you probably pass through it. You know. <laughs> well, you know, I, I remember being 17 years old and our school, our high school took a, was, some people took a trip to Colorado from Texas. And it was like a youth camp in the mountains in Colorado. So we, we chartered a bus that left from our high school at like 10 p.m., 
on a certain night and we drove through the night to wake up in Colorado. I just thought that I was, there's probably 70, 60, 70 people in that charter bus. I was the only one that stayed up the entire night. I thought it was the coolest thing ever. And as I saw the sun coming up in Albuquerque, New Mexico, every single person is just sleeping on, you know, with their blanket wrapped up in their charter seat. And I'm looking out of the window. Only other person awake is the bus driver. And I'm seeing the sun peek up over that desert in those mountains in Albuquerque. And the rays hit the, hit the, mm. the desert and it spreads over the cactus. And I just thought, oh, this is incredible. I've never seen anything like this. Like you don't get to see the sun come up in the desert on the highway unless you're in a bus and unless you're awake. And I just, I thought, I don't know what it is about this, but I want to do this. I want to do this more. I want to, I want to make a life of seeing the sun rise in all these different places across the, the country. And that was a, a love that was separate from music. It had nothing to do with music or stages or songwriting. It was just a love for travel. And I think mm. as a musician, you have to have that. Otherwise, the road is going to kill you. You're going to hate touring. Um, it's not going to work for you unless you have a certain love for travel. Mm. Uh, Sounds like you have that too. We did. Our bus, although ours is an airport shuttle bus, uh, probably formerly owned by Avis or Hertz. Um, but it is fun. I will say we drove out. I, to I see understand. We drove to see Bubba Watson in Pensacola, Florida. Um, and uh, it was a long drive. I will say as much as I love this country, the lower states, uh, you get through West Texas. You got to have a really good playlist to get through that. There's a lot of nothing uh to get go through there but uh, once you get through it's it's absolutely yep. it's just it's amazing it's absolutely stunning um before we dive in too much too i want to hear uh i'm curious when you were growing up was there like a concert that like changed your life or you know were you in i i, I imagine you must have been because we're about similar in age I, I imagine that you were growing up around garth you know and alan jackson and like kind of some of that but who are the who are the who's in the kind of rush uh, mount rushmore for granger yeah for some reason i got really into George Strait, uh, about 16, 15, 16 years old, right around the time I got my driver's license. And so I started traveling. I got, I joined his fan club, which back then was all analog. It wasn't, you know, that you're, you're actually getting letters in the mail from the fan club and physical fan club cards. And so I would use that fan club card and I would go to these different locations and try to spend the night at the venue when the tickets went on sale to then get the tickets for then a few months later, I'd go to the concert and I, that would get me second row, probably somewhere around the middle if I got there early enough. And so that's, this is my thing. I love to do it. A lot of times I did it by myself. I traveled around the state of Texas about 16, 17 years old wow. and got tickets and went to these concerts. So you truly were driving all night to be in Amarillo by morning so that you could that's see right. George Strait. <laughs> that song is so beautiful. Where is George Strait? Like he's, he kind of like for such a legend, right? I just don't hear much anymore. Yeah. He's, he completely retired from music. Although he does go out and do a concert or two, uh, in Vegas. I know he's doing one in Nashville here in a few weeks, but, uh, but yeah, he mainly just sits at home with his family and on his hey. ranch and hunt, hunts deer and plays golf. Hey, amen. You know, I like that. The straight and narrow path, <laughs> you know, um, yeah. Well, you've got a kind of big announcement coming up here, and obviously we're going to talk about your book here. But um, I'm, I'm curious. I mean, so you've have you always been a person of faith? Is this something? Because obviously this has taken on a whole serious implication and reality in this new phase. But have did you grow up Christian? 
Yeah, and, that, and that's a that's a loaded question because because I did I I grew up in a with faithful parents grew up considering myself a Christian. Uh, I, my mother says that she read the New Testament to me while she nursed me as a baby. So um, very faithful parents. Gr- you know, grew up in church. Grew up going to the actually that that bus trip to Colorado was a Christian youth camp. I figured probably. Thing. <laughs> yeah. So. After I got after I went to college at Texas A and M, um, I was quickly becoming nominal in the faith. Uh, it quickly became cultural to me. It's something that was more of a title, uh, more something I claimed, but not really something I believed. Even though, if you would have asked me then, I would have said, "Yeah, of course, I'm a Christian. Going to heaven, you know, Jesus died for my sins." You know, I could art- articulate that, but. I wasn't relying on it. You know, I I hadn't surrendered to it in any way. I was relying on myself. I was relying on hard work and perseverance and, and, uh, and my getting up early and monitoring my calories and, and working out and, and conquering the day and having my power list and knocking it out. You know, I relied on that. And, and for a long time I saw success with that. And so that just perpetuated more of my self-reliance. Mm. And so you talked about getting to this place where you really felt God was leading you to kind of surrender this music thing. And there's some elements of uh, that you felt that there was some self idolatry. Um, there was a worship of career there, which yeah, I heard that and I go, I don't know someone who doesn't have some sort of, you know, mm. I mean, we're it's America. Like, you know, I got, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got yeah. my coffee cup, my, my to-do list. And I mean, that's like, it's who'd have thought resting is actually like a discipline. Like I was like, all right, I'm going to schedule rest, <laughs> but, uh, what's yeah, yeah. Wa- walk me through that process where you started to feel the undercurrents of like, all right, I might, you know, God might be calling me to surround us. And then I'd love to hear too, how you personally felt God confirmed that God speaks to you, uh, and made this like clear, like, okay, this is time to, Time to say goodbye to the bus. Yeah, for sure. So that was at around 2019, about this time of year, 2019, I was at what I look back now and see was the height of my self-reliance, uh, my, my personal self-discipline. Um, I was reading so much nonfiction and, and self-help uh, and, and just and was seeing success in the music business as what I saw as a big result of personal discipline, um, personal work ethic. It was at about that time in the height of that, when our three-year-old son died in my backyard while I was there, he drowned in our pool. I was there with them. I was with my three kids and I was playing uh, gymnastics with my daughter. It was about 7.30 PM on June the 4th, 2019. My sons were playing water gun fight. And at one moment, I just, my wife was inside getting ready for getting ready to put the kids down. And there was this moment I thought, where's River? He's our youngest. It was, it was quiet. And I don't know if it was a minute or two minutes or three minutes with, while I was doing this gymnastics, that it got quiet and I looked back and inside our gated, we we have a gated fenced pool. We used to, we've moved since then. Uh, But River was in there. And he was floating on his, on his, on his stomach. And I just, I was in shock. Uh, didn't know how he got in there. I didn't know. Um, I didn't know anything. I didn't know how this, this thing could be possible, but I thought I was going to jump in and 
flip him over and he was going to be coughing and nervous and scared. And I was going to say, buddy, what were you doing? You, how did you get in here? You know, you're not supposed to get in this gate. How, what happened? But that's, that's not what played out. Instead, he was lifeless and cold. And, and I tried CPR, but I didn't really know how to do CPR besides what I've seen in the movies. And uh, my daughter ran up and I told her to get my wife and she came and she didn't have a phone and I didn't have a phone. So she went back inside. We called 911. We lived in the country about uh, 10 minutes from any kind of emergency service. So they arrived and it was, it was a long time for him to be unconscious. They were able to get his heartbeat back, but, um, but his brain never recovered. That started uh, a downward spiral for me. Um, just plummeting towards rock bottom with that, with the feeling of guilt as a failed father um, on top of the, the grief and the loss of our son. And on top of uh, knowing what my wife would, had would, was going through, knowing that she was, uh, you know, watching this from the outside as it, as it happened. Um, and, th- and that's when I doubled down on my self-discipline and my self-help and my self-reliance and, realized at that point for the first time, oh, this stuff didn't work in In fact, I'm just getting worse. I can't fix myself. I can't help myself. I can't climb out of this hole that I'm laying in right now. And that was the beginning of my true faith journey. Hmm. Uh, do you ever just like want to yell at God and be like, how come suffering is what it takes to like, wake us up. It, it always, it just, it's something I was like, I don't know why we live in a universe where like prosperity doesn't really lead to, you know, I don't get a lot of testimonies on here. It's like, yeah, man, I just had so much money and really woke me up to faith. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's, you it's, never yeah. hear that. No, you, you don't never hear that. Hear that. <laughs> and, and it's so interesting, but here's the thing. We, we don't know why God uses suffering for a greater good. We, we know that he does, but we don't know that the specific reasons why. But it's not a contradiction because we could all we have to do to prove that it's not a contradiction, that, that a loving, all-knowing, good God could use suffering for a greater good because we see it play out all the time in our own lives. For instance, I, could, I was thinking about this yesterday. I could take my kids to a man in Austin, Texas, that will hurt them and inflict pain on them and perhaps fear on the kid. And I could actually pay him to do that out of love. Because what if I told you that that man was a dentist and my kid has no idea what's going on, but I know that this is going to lead to straight teeth. It's going to help you down the road because I love you. I'm going to put you through this momentary affliction right now. And you look at it in terms of uh, movies, our books, any, any of our favorite movies, always have the bad guy in it. You take the bad guy away, take the the suffering away. There's no redemption. There's no good guy wins. And it's no longer a favorite movie. Football, you know, football, national championships don't matter at all. If you win it every year and no one ever competes against you, it doesn't matter. Yeah, we're, we're trying to the get reason- there as a USC Trojan. <laughs> that's uh, or actually Alabama. We should have Nick Saban on and see if he agrees with that. <laughs> I, I, okay, we'll go to USC. What oh four? You guys won it in oh four, right? 
Uh, three, right? yeah, oh, there's, yeah, those oh, liner. Oh, yeah, oh, three. Oh, three was okay. the like consensus championship, and then four, I believe, four was or four was that, then five. I always mix them up. Yeah, there was a two year in a row, and then a third one. There's this okay. little fringe public school called uh, UT, and yeah. uh, they Part they had them. this technicality where they beat us like in score, but like, <laughs> not, but in, in principle. <laughs> so take take those championship years, and the reason they meant so much to the fan base and to the players and to the coaches. It's because of the hard games that you fought that that one game against Stanford when they got a little too close and they they were never supposed to get close to you, but they they took you to the to the fourth quarter or the the locker room dispute in game three or the time when, you know, in the the off season when somebody, you know, tore ACL and you thought the whole season was over. But when you won the championship, despite all of that suffering, it meant so much more. So. Why, why would we not look at life and God in that same way? Mm, amen. Amen. Spoken like a true Aggie. Uh, fun, yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> you know, that's, uh, still, still looking for that national championship. <laughs> still looking, man. 1939, baby. Oh, my gosh. Uh, um, yeah. So, you know, one th- obviously the, uh, the process of dealing with a, uh, a, a death of a child is – and I've never, I've never truly understood this because I thank God I've never been through this, but that is enormously taxing on a relationship. Is that because, uh, the grief just comes in different ways and different expressions? Is that why the data is so negative when it comes to last, like when couples lose a child? Um, why, why is it so difficult? And then how did you two rally through that? Man, it's a, it's a testament to her, to Amber, my wife, because if she had ever, and when she didn't, but if she had ever said, how dare you let this happen to our child? Mm. How dare you do this to our family? She had done that. I wouldn't have made it. I wouldn't be on this, this talk today with you. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have made it because having her as a support system, which she said, we, we are together in this. Our family will stick together. And we agreed from really from ground zero that we're not going to let anything break this family apart and just kind of put our, put our, dug our heels into the sand at that point and just said, this is, this is what we're doing. This sucks. This is, this hurts. And we're going to have different stages of grief, but we're going to rally and we're going to hold this family together no matter what happens. And it takes two to agree to something like that. So I think it's very difficult to get both people to agree. And that's why you see so many problems. Yeah. Um, um, so would you say now are you at a place where uh, I'm sure you never read through Job during the season at all, but, uh, have you gotten, <laughs> you know, but have you gotten to a place where like he says, like my ears have heard, but now my eyes have seen uh, in a sense that made peace with the suffering and, and recognize that, you know, there's some answers this side you won't get, but that you can see the fruit that comes if we submit suffering to him. Yeah. All that stuff I said about football and movies, and you don't say that to someone that's going through grief immediately. You know, you don't go to someone's house and go, Oh, you lost your dad. Okay. It's okay. It's kind of like football or a movie. Like you wouldn't say that, but that, you know, it's been four years for me and I've had a lot of time to think about it. Um, and uh, although we could look back on it, if you are, if you're willing to surrender and believe that we have a sovereign God that's all purposing, all planning, he's not, 
He's not reacting to something. God is not saying, oh, I'm so sorry that that accident happened to you. Let me help you try to clean it up. No, he's behind everything. He's all that's that's the God revealed in the Bible. He's all purposing, all planning, all sovereign, all Mm. providential. So when you when you when you read about who God is and you start believing and trusting in his plan, then you could be like Job and go, "Okay." I don't know. I don't necessarily like this. I, I don't know where to go from here, but I'm trusting that it's for a greater good. Now we have a little boy, Maverick. He's going to be, he's going to turn two years old, August the 20th. Um, Maverick literally would not be here if we hadn't have lost Riv. We love Mav. We love him. We loved Riv. It's, it's, it's a, such a conundrum to think about yeah. how, keeping River. If River was still with us, we would have to lose Maverick and then to lose Maverick, you know, would be to keep Riv and vice versa. It's that, that stuff will make me go crazy thinking about it, but it is, it is an example of good coming from from pain purpose coming from that suffering. Mm. Now I do have to ask because you have these epic names for your children. Uh, Is Maverick (laughs) in any way associated with the canon lore of Top Gun or is it entirely (laughs) coincidental? Uh, I would not say entirely uh, coincidental. I would say that there is there is a high correlation to one of my favorite movies of all time. Um, but it, but probably more importantly, I would say we were looking for a name that had the letters R I V for Got Riv, it. so that River could live uh, through in in a way through his little brother. And so Maverick was a name that came to both of us. We're like, you know what? It's got R I V in it. It means unbranded calf in Texas, and it's associated with the uh the the lore of the 67th book of the bible uh which incidentally is about 10 minutes from this recording session miramar uh is very close right now and uh, you can go visit the top gun house now in oceanside which is all developed now but there's it's an ice cream shop so nice uh, yeah if you come out there it's uh it's pretty cool okay um man that's uh uh now uh, actually a quick question this this is entirely inappropriate for me to ask, which is why I probably want to ask it. But one thing I've really wrestled with is on one hand, it is very common advice given out right now and probably rooted in wisdom to you. Obviously when someone's grieving, you just don't know everyone's grief is different. How they process grief is different. And it can be very, very tempting to try and fix or tell someone what they should do, et cetera. And you got to let people go through their process. Right. And I've Mm. been through, I've been through that where I felt like, like you just don't understand. Right. On the other hand, I have had, uh, particularly if you guy friends get in my face after a undis, you know, an arbitrary amount of time and say, look, like, I don't want to like negate your process, but like, it's time to time to pick up. And like, you know, God didn't call you to be despondent for the rest of your, like, you need to like rally. Like we need to like, mm. we need to get back in the game at some level. And so there's a tension between those, right? Because obviously to live in perpetual despair is not God's intention or plan. On the other hand, uh, I, you know, Jacob walked with a limp people, I don't know if you were ever, rec- there's some things I don't think you're supposed to fully recover from. And actually in Jacob's mm. case, I think it was a blessing, right? The, the limp was a mm. reminder of the day he became Israel and wrestled with God. So uh, how do you walk in the tension? Were there people who after a certain, was there a certain point where you said, okay, like um, I have to, I have to get back in the game at some points um, or was it, or is it just a thing that you just never do get over and that's okay. Yeah, you said some great stuff there. And, and uh, another example would be the Apostle Paul, who had the thorn in his side that he 
that he uh, asked God three times to remove. And God said, no, my grace is sufficient. So there, like you said, I don't know exactly how you worded it, but there, there are some things that, would you say there are some things that we're, that are never meant to heal Yeah, or something, something that to that extent, I think that's really profound. And I think that's, that's something that, um, that we should keep in mind that sometimes our scars and our, our injuries that we carry with us make us stronger and remind us of where we came from. And that limp that, 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 uh, you're talking about is, is a perfect, a perfect example of that. And you said, you also mentioned that after an arbitrary amount of time, friends come to you and say, it's time to get up. So that, so that part of the, the, the probably the main discussion is what is that arbitrary amount of time? Probably a year, at least, I would say, get through all of the anniversaries, get through the date of the death, get through the oh. birthdays, get through Thanksgiving, get through Christmas, get through all those times with that whoever you lost, you would say, oh, dad loved Christmas time. And here we are, there's an empty chair at the table. So oh. I think uh, it would be appropriate to let that year go by. And in the meantime, if we're talking to someone that that is helping someone else, so let that year go by and that, and that during that time, just sit with them, tell them things like that must be really difficult or ask them things like, how does that make you feel? But just kind of rotate those two, those two ideas back and forth without saying, come on, let's go, let's get up. Let's open the blinds. Let's open the curtains. After a year though, a good friend would do that. A good friend will, should come in. And if you notice it in the gospel, Jesus always called his his followers his disciples up or forward it was never let's all sit down in the mud and cry and kumbaya together it was always get up let's go follow me stand up pick up your mat let's go it was always that it was always an action command and mm-hmm. so at some point as a friend i think you come over and you go listen man i know you're going i know that you've been going through a lot but uh get up i got some fishing poles we're going out, we're going, we're going to the beach, we're going to do some fishing, we're, whatever. But, but, um, mm-hmm. for, for me, uh, I just started feeling that, and especially after that first year, it was like, I, I moved my family out of the house that we were living in. I moved them twice, actually. Yeah. I just kept feeling like, okay, now it's, it's time to, it's time for a new change. It's time for a new scenery. Um, it's time to keep, keep things rolling. You, some people get scared of moving forward because they feel like they're going to forget or leave the the broken hip or the injury behind. But you don't, like you said, you, you it comes with you, but you could still move in a forward direction. That's, that's what matters. So you do appreciate, and obviously it's different, you know, with everybody, but so you appreciated, you had people who came alongside you and helped you say like, Hey, it's time to like, and it's weird because on no hand, like how could you ever look someone in the eye and say like, you know, move on from the death of a son. But on the other hand, it's like, if we believe what we believe, if, if God is, if you're about bearing fruit and flourishing, uh, then at some point, you know, we have to, we have to learn to like, you let the grief have its way for character forming, but then put on the eternal perspective and say, cool, one day we'll be reunited and this won't be this way anymore. But for now, like I got, you know, work to like, I do think of Jesus saying that, I think that phrase you're alluding to when he's like, the guy's like, Hey, I need to go back and bury my father. And he's like, no, anyone who looks back is not fit, you know, to enter the kingdom of heaven. I go, that seems really cruel. Like, you know, we need to go through that, but you're right. Jesus like says, Hey, like we got like, there's, there'll be time for that later. It's like, let's, the kingdom of God is now we got work to do. 
Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there was, uh, there was many moments in my life when I had to, I had to move forward. It was, you just can't sit in the muck and Jesus never called. Jesus said a lot of things that were, that were offensive. Like you just said. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, all right. So talk to me. So writing a book, is this something you recommend for people going through it? And then talk to me about the journey of, did, hmm. is this something you felt God put on your heart? So I want to write this is, I mean, it sounds like many authors, you wrote this book as much for you uh, as it is for anyone else who's struggling and going through this, but uh, talk to me about your writing process. And I imagine that must've been pretty cathartic. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And um, there is something to say about desiring to, to help other people that have been through a similar situation. There is a healing process in that. And, and so that's, that's something that you can do or in the early stages of grief is just be there for other people that have gone through something similar in, in a sooner time than you have. So someone's lost a grandmother and you lost a grandmother six months ago. They just lost a grandmother. Hey, go over there and sit with them. There is a healing in that for you. For you, and so this book is in in, in the same way uh, healing for me to keep to put it on the page to tell the story to remember things that that I've probably forgotten until I was actually making it linear on the page, but at the same time thinking to myself, oh, I hope I hope someone reads this that needs to hear it. I hope this helps somebody. I hope somebody doesn't go to the extent I went to. Maybe they could pull out a little sooner because they read this. And so that feeling of possibly helping someone in the future is so healing in itself to me. And so, yeah, in that aspect, I would, I would recommend to anyone uh, writing a memoir or a, a book or a, just a journal, just journaling daily is very healing. And what helped you the most as far as processing your grief and especially as a Christian, uh, right? Because on one hand, like, yeah, I think sometimes people will read verses like, you know, God is near the brokenhearted, you know, near the crushed in spirit, um, you know, and that there's the, and the peace of Christ will surpass that the peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. So there's an element of like, Hey, I'm gonna be with you, but you know, if you look at the Christian experience of martyrdom and abandonment and like, I mean, and Jesus is sweating you know, blood in the garden. Um, like there's the suffering part is actually the, the, uh, one of the lost promises of, <laughs> of following that. And how do you, you know, to maybe to people going out there suffering right now who are trying to wrestle with how to invite God into that, I, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like sometimes people think, Oh, if I just, like people say, just pray more. And you're like, sometimes that doesn't work or that doesn't alleviate the immediate problem, you know, like, or just worship your way out of it. And I was like, no, that doesn't work sometimes either. You know? So were there things that helped you more uh, than others, like spiritual disciplines that helped you kind of bring God into your suffering more and, and lift you up? Yeah, I think, I think certainly. And I think, um, I think you're right it, that what you're, what you're kind of alluding to that I always think about is that people are so into, um, they're into what I call coffee mug verses or verses that you kind of hang in the kitchen and they, they, they are completely taken out of context. And so you could be thinking, um, thinking about God is near to the brokenhearted and you're like trying to meditate on that verse and it has no context to it. You don't know what happened before it or after like God is near to the brokenhearted. God is near to the broken. But what I've, what I've found was in the Psalms, there is a lot of lament. And 
in our culture, the American Christian culture has really forgotten about the laments. We're, we're always about the, the praise and the happiness and the, the restorative nature of God, which is great. But if we take away the laments, like Psalm 13, I just pulled it up. Psalm 13 says this. It says, how long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord, my God, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him. And then he changes right here, changes his tone from what he feels to what he knows. Verse five, he says, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praises for he has been good to me. So we go from what we feel like, I feel like I'm all alone. I feel like I'm suffering and God is far from me. He's not listening. And I feel, I feel, I feel. And then we go back to what we know, but I know, I know that that's just the way I feel God. I know that I trust in your unfailing love. And so we see that from David, you know, a man after God's own heart. And we go, okay, so now, now this is cool because I'm relating myself to David, who is a man after God's own heart, and he feels the way I do. He feels like God is far from me. When the, when the Bible says in this part, he's near to the brokenhearted, I feel like he's far. But good news is, David agrees that this is how we're supposed to feel. So sometimes we go through these laments and we feel our heart transforming in the, in the scripture itself as the, as the psalmist his feelings is transforming along with us. And, and so, yeah, reading scripture, trusting in his word, uh, pouring into others. Um, there's a time when you were saying it earlier, how, when you said there's an arbitrary time when your friends need to tell you to get up, let's go. Well, what that is, is there's a time when our feelings and our legitimate grief and mourning, which is good. We should grief and mourning and sadness is normal for a human. What's bad is when that starts changing to self-deprecation and it turns into depression. So now we've separated ourselves from the actual cause of the grief and the mourning and the sadness. And now we're, we're in a world where it's just, we're just pouring it back on ourselves for no apparent reason. We're hurting ourselves and it's become depression. And that's, that is self-defeating, self-deprecating. That's, that's what depression is. So, we got to find that balance of what I feel, balance it with what I know, get out and, and, and make it an action. Mm. So you said this journey began obviously with this tragedy and then you started reflecting inward and saying, okay, I've got some self-idolatry here and my work has taken this sort of, you know, preeminent role in my life. And it takes a lot to, you know, step away from this. So uh, what, what was that journey like? When did it become clear? Like, Hey, you know what? Like, all right, I'm feeling the call. What did that sound like? A lot of people are always fascinated, like, how's God speaking to me? And how yeah. is he confirming it's time for me to lay this down? Um, and and then also, did were there people going, you're crazy for doing this? Because obviously you can be, you know, I want to talk about those arguments about, hey, be a light, you know, be out there, be a Christian out there in the, don't retreat, you know, talk, walk me through that journey. Yeah, it's, you're right in, in all aspects. And I... It's a slow process. It was a slow sanctification process of things kind of, kind of being peeled away from me. And it started with my record label. 
I just had this feeling like as, as I got in my label, which is a great label, BMG, we were, we were on great terms. Yeah. And as we got to the point where it was time for a new album, a new single, that means me going back out and promoting a new song and a new recording and taking people to dinner and going all over the country to tell people how great the song is and why they should play it on the radio station. As I got to that point again, I just thought, I don't, I don't have a passion for that right now. I don't have that in me. Hmm. And when you are, when you feel like you're in a place of surrender to God, where you're just kind of got your, your hands open, you're no more closed fist. You go, God, this is, you gave me everything. It's all yours. You take it. And, and, and I'll be happy with whatever share I get from this. And so when you're kind of living like that and you feel like you're, you have a good, pretty good consistency of reading the word and your prayer life is never where it's going, where you want it to be, where, where it's, you feel like it's better than it has been and it's decent and you're, you've got a good connection. I feel at that point, then you could safely follow your own desires because the Bible says he will give you the desires of your heart, not in a way that he's going to give you whatever you want, but more in a way that he's going to give you new wants. So when you feel like you're spiritually aligned, then you, and you're, you have a good walk with the Lord, you could follow your desires. And my desire at that point was not radio, not chasing a new single and not chasing a record label. So I decided to leave the label despite everyone telling me I was an idiot for doing that. Um, I don't, I don't think I, I don't think I heard anybody say it's a great, great decision besides maybe my wife, but she was just supporting me. Maybe she was lying. So is that I, real quick, so when you're making decisions cuz obviously the the Christian man gets to ask not what uh could I do but what should I do and mm-hmm. community obviously weighing in is a huge part of like you know how we make good to say, you know there's wisdom in many counsels <laughs> yeah. so I'm I'm curious yeah. just, you know obviously you know on one hand like when if everyone around you is going dude that's crazy that either is like totally a god thing or you're just crazy right so how did you how do you wrestle okay. through how did you wrestle through well, that everyone's saying you're nuts let me clarify it. People were not saying, don't do that. That's a bad decision. Got it, people got were it. saying, people were saying, that's crazy. I, hey man, more power to you. If that's something you, you want to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you do you, bro. Yeah, it was more like that. So yeah, let me clarify. It wasn't, people were not saying, oh no, this is dangerous. Don't do okay. this. <laughs> so I left the label, but, uh, but that wasn't enough. Um, then I started feeling the convict, the same kind of conviction on touring. And, and really what that feeling was with this book coming out, um, I wanted to be as available as possible to support the book because I feel like it is the most important piece of media that I've put out in, in terms of it's going to, it's going to show, it's going to shine a light away from me and put it on Jesus. He, my surrender to him and my trust in him is what saved me. And so if I could take the light off me and put it on him, which I believe the book does, then I need to be able to open up enough time in my life to support that book. Touring does not allow time for anything else. It's, it is the number one priority really over family over, uh, certainly over Sunday morning, local church. That's, you don't have, you don't have that when you're touring. Um, and I don't have the, the availability to say, Hey man, this, there's this men's group on a Tuesday night in Phoenix. They would love for you to come and tell your story. I'd have to say, no, I can't, I can't do that. 
when I'm touring for music. And so there was also no in between at, at some level of music touring, you've got buses and truck and band and crew. You can't just cut down to half or a quarter of what you're doing and still expect to pay the bills. So it was really all or nothing. And, and I just felt good that desire to let it all go and to give it all to God. Um, that's where, that's where I felt the peace in that kind of decision. That's where I felt peace. Mm. And, uh, now once you, and once you made that decision, how are we feeling today? I still feel, uh, I feel, still feel that peace. Cool. It feels right. Um, I feel very passionate about sitting with guys like you on this podcast or sit, sitting in, in some kind of speaking engagement. Um, uh, taking my kids to, and my family to church, a local church on a Sunday morning and sitting there, you know, and seeing my kids go, Oh, dad, dad thinks that this is a big deal to come here on a Sunday morning. He thinks it's a big deal. I want them at their age to, to grow up knowing that I put a priority on it, not because I said it, but because I did it. So, um, all of that added up together right now in this season, right now, it all, it all feels, feels good to me. And just to put a bow on it for those, so for someone who's been in the limelight, has had fame, fortune, et cetera, um, to those who may be consciously or unconsciously wrestling with the desire to be famous and to make it and all that, what, uh, what wisdom can you share from the other side? Um, and, and maybe around, like, it's not everything you think it is. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be the first person to say something like that. It's not everything you think it is. Um, we, <laughs> Man, mankind, so that I conclude man and woman, we, we are not made to be, to be worshiped. And in fact, it only corrupts us. It only hurts us, but we have a desire to grow and to, to get to desire praise, especially me. And that's a big, that's a big problem for me. Um, which is why going back to the, to your comment about being a light in a dark place, it's like, Granger, why not just go on tour and talk about Jesus when you're on the stage and all those people that came to your concert could just, you know, by osmosis, they could just learn about Jesus. It's like, yeah, I, I really wrestled with that for years and that, that concept. And what I realized was I was the problem. The touring wasn't the problem. The message wasn't the problem. I was the problem. I needed attention. I needed praise. I needed cheering. I, and I knew that because if they didn't cheer to my expectation, I was a little bit mad. Or if all the seats in the, in the place and the venue weren't full, I thought, why wouldn't they come to see me on a Saturday night? You know, what more could we do? So, and of course, I, I don't, I wouldn't have voiced those things out loud, but that's what I'm feeling. That's what I'm thinking. Mm. I, I'm thinking, I'm thinking, I'm judging the night, the concert by how loud the crowd was, how loud they cheered for me. And, and so I realized, okay, I got a problem here. I got a problem it, it, I can't, I can't lay that over what the gospel says to take up your cross, deny yourself and follow Jesus. I can't, that doesn't sound any way like denial or taking up my cross in any way. Uh, it sounds like self idolatry. So stripping that away and surrendering that part of my life, uh, which is certainly not a sin for someone else. It's just for me, it was a problem. So surrendering mm -hmm. that, um, that that's my story. So if anyone else is listening and thinking, Hey, I, I'm trying to be, I'm trying to make it in the entertainment industry. Well, Hey, that, I'm not necessarily saying that's a bad thing. 
because we need we need Christians, men and women of faith in all positions of life. We need them in politics. We need them in uh, we need them as mailmen. We need them as firemen. We need them as policemen. We need them in the entertainment industry. We need them everywhere. So this is not a call for everyone to leave their jobs and go into some kind of ministry. That would that would actually be terrible. This is just my story. But I can say to that, if you be very careful at what you're seeking, if you're getting into the entertainment industry, be very careful at what your motive is. Test yourself. Like really, really unpack what it is you're seeking. If you're seeking um, external joy or, or from from praise of people, from the worship of people, or you're truly um, you truly just enjoy the craft of your art. Mm. There's a difference. And just to show we're not all buzzkill about entertainment here, uh, for those who are, you know, got a little bug, they've got their YouTube video up, they're waiting for Scooter Braun to discover them and become the next uh, Justin. Mm-hmm. What's uh, What advice do you have, especially with uh, today's tech tools? I, I am marvel that you have what would have been so cost prohibitive a decade ago, like in your studio yeah. right now. So for those aspiring songwriters, musicians, performers, what advice do you have as getting into the industry and getting going on your career? Yeah. My, my advice is um, cultivate that energy in your own, your own community, your own circle, instead of leaving to LA or Nashville or Austin or Chicago, or New York, instead of leaving out to, I got to go and try to get a record deal or try to get a manager, try to get an agent, cultivate right there in your own living room on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, build that following and work on those songs and that content. You could do that. It's much more cost effective. And um, these days, managers, agents, labels, they're only looking for people now that have the streams to back them up or the followers to back them up. So if you don't have that, it's not like it was in 1995 where you can go in empty handed as a pizza delivery guy and suddenly be, become a huge star. That, that story is becoming almost non-existent now. So build it up, build up those songs and that, that content where you are now. Mm, that's great. All right. Well, I want to finish here in the same way the Gospels present four differing perspectives on the ministry of Jesus Christ. So, too, I imagine when I ask most couples their stories of their first meeting, I get differing accounts. So I would like to hear if you're willing to share how you met your wife. And if I were to ask each one of you the differing reactions and first impressions of each other, uh, would I get differing eyewitness accounts? Uh <laughs> It's interesting you say it that way, because when I wrote my book, um, there was times Amber said, you know, we, you said we're sitting on the edge of the bed ta- having that discussion. We were actually sitting on the steps on the porch. And I'd be like, we were? She's <laughs> like, yeah. So it's interesting you mentioned about the Gospels, the different perspectives. Yeah. So, yeah, you could get different, different accounts for sure. But I met her on the set of my very first music video. In 2009, there was a song called Don't Listen to the Radio, and she was the, the love interest that we cast uh, for, that, for that video. It's Did you have a hand in the song. casting at all? Uh, were you like, I I really feel it towards this person. This is a good choice there. So you, you literally cast your wife. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As cliche and weird as it sounds, uh, of course, I didn't have that in mind. I was of really not, trying of to not, make yeah. a good video. But uh, she had a boyfriend and yeah. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So she cast her. And then did you yeah. guys have instant chemistry when you met? 
Yeah, it felt it felt like instant chemistry. It was a really good day. The the video shoot was great, and both of us were kind of wondering: Is it just the environment? Is it the setup that makes yeah. it feel uh, not real? Um, she messaged me. She was the first one to kind of break the ice a few days later and say, I "Just I just want to throw this out there. I I don't know uh, if you feel the same way, but I have feelings for you." And I did too. I did too. And and I said this. I said. Listen, um, I I think you're right, but but what this proves more than that is that you should break up with your boyfriend first. Yeah, <laughs> because <laughs> because if anything, even if this is right or wrong between me and you, it means that you you don't belong with him anyway. So break up with him, and then let's have coffee in like a month, just to make sure that this hmm. is this is uh, legit, and that's what that's what happened. Oh man, yeah. I was about to say I feel bad for the boyfriend, but uh, I mean, so me too. I guess me too. There, there's several morals of this story. One, if you're dating someone and they are cast in a country star's music video as the love interest, <laughs> think twice about letting them go there, uh, especially if it's yes, a good, yes. good old country song there. Um, so you know, when you look back at, uh, I love, I love asking this because I get differing answers. Um, do you feel that God? brought you two together? Do you feel that God highlighted each other? Or do you think that you both chose based on godly criteria and he blessed that? Uh, or yes, yes, and yes. Man, we we were not living uh, a godly life back then. So okay. it wasn't it wasn't like I was looking for a godly churchly woman that that I could sit next to in the pew on, you know, I, I just wasn't where my mind was. Out of God's grace, um Somehow he had favor on us and and bringing us together, and later we together found him. Um, mm. But I, I will say to the just an overall answer to your question, I believe that he's providential on over everything. I believe that nothing slips through his fingers. I believe that he he is a great story writer and um, and he is completely sovereign. That being said. Um, we're, we're also not puppets on strings yeah. and that, that tension between those two ideas of our responsibility and his, his providence is a mystery. And I'm okay with holding that in responsible tension, those two aspects of life that, that are like two parallel lines that intersect only in heaven, our responsibility and his planning and providence. I say that in a way that I don't, I believe it's a myth of the idea of soulmate, like, it's the only person on this planet and that girl is for me and because it that's leads to unhealthiness. It leads to us relying on, well, we're, I'm arguing with my soulmate and she's threatening to leave me. And I don't know, I'll just die if I don't have the only person on this whole planet that was ever compatible for me. I think it gets unhealthy when we start thinking like that. Uh, there's a lot of girls, a lot of guys. And I, and I think we have a sovereign God that oversees it all. But I think we could responsibly make decisions on who we want to marry uh, based on a lot of different factors. Amen. Does that make sense? <laughs> Absolutely. So for all our first Corinthians seven single people out there, make sure get that music video cast right now. So if you want to remedy that, take matters into your own hands. Uh, last question, Granger, and we'll let you get back to your Granger things. Uh, you've been married <laughs> now for a minute, hot minute. What's the advice you have for make? I mean, you guys have obviously been through a tremendous amount, uh, but what would you say, Granger's? You know, what's your coffee mug wisdom for those married right mm. now? 
Man, I, I would say just trust each other. Just trust each other. Even when you don't want to or everything in you is feeling like you shouldn't forgive each other, be selfless to each other. Um, I think, I think you can probably sum all that up with just being, uh, loving them as you love yourself. You know, it's, Mm. it's, it's almost as if Jesus said something similar to that, but, uh, to check that's a question for the scholars to debate if he, if he said something like that. So we we have to fight our own instincts. So many times we have to fight our instinct to go, Hey, I, it's my day to take out the trash and blah, blah, blah. You know, you know, we just, we could argue about ridiculous things, but just give them the benefit of the doubt. Oh, man. And when is the book uh, released in all formats? When will this be uh, sent to the four corners of the globe? Yeah, August 1st. We sh- certainly hope it goes to all four corners. That's August right. 1st. Now, what's our call? Are we, are we pre-buying? Are we telling people about it? Are we stockpiling copies? What's our, what's our call? Are we heading to Amazon <laughs> yeah. and pre-buying? Is it available for pre-order yet? It is. It is. Grangersmith.com is kind of a hub to all those places, but wherever your favorite place to to look at look for books is we we have pre orders up right now, and you got the audiobook too, right? Did you narrate the audiobook? Yeah, I did. I, I really enjoyed doing that. Oh, that's awesome! Very cool. We'll get your copy, folks, and uh, we'll put a picture of it up when we edit this. But Granger, thanks so much. Uh, is there anything we didn't cover that you would like to plug, mention, shout out, etc.? This is your time. Man, I I think you you got it, man. You nailed it. It was just, I was uh, very enjoyable conversation man appreciate it amen absolutely well thank you so much folks and we'll get you that bus listing uh if you want to purchase any of the auctioned off items from granger smith's tour um we'll raise some we'll raise some money there and if you need to get a bus thanks for joining us folks we'll see you next time (laughs) thank you brother